You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. So today is Palm Sunday, which is very exciting. We, we enter into Holy Week this morning. And this morning, the passage is not focused on Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, but rather in finishing this Letters to the Church series that we've been going through, through the book of Revelation or through uh, chapters two and three of Revelation. But we are going to open by reading the triumphal entry because I do think it will form an interesting bracket for us for this uh this sermon. So we're going to look at Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Let me read it to you. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey. Gosh, it happens every time. Charlie, I'm so stubborn to the paper. I'm so stubborn. I got to get into the 21st century. I'm just, that's a good idea. I'm just waiting until we're inside of a building. So I'm just going to hold out till then. Even though this is my favorite. This aside, I love being outside. For as long as we're outside, I want to just comment on two things for us to consider as we're outside. One Worshiping God in his creation is such a unique like aspect of worship and worshiping God within context of Uber drivers pulling up and people on bike rides and people walking around keeps us connected to the world around us. So for however much longer we're outside, I want us to be thoughtful about those things because I think it is a beautiful uh, part of being outside. Okay, so here we go. We will start over. Uh, Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king has come to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. We will come back to Palm Sunday and the Holy Week towards the end of the sermon. This seventh and final letter to the church in Laodicea, 
uh, is where we will be spending our time. And I want to give a little bit of context on to this, this city and this church and this region. Paul, well before this letter was written, 30, maybe 40 years before, Paul actually uh, hints at this church in the book of Colossians in chapter 4 as he's sending uh, them out to take this letter, he says, "Greet he, the, the people of Colossae are meant to uh, greet the church in Laodicea. And I find it interesting that in this uh, passage in Colossians 4, there's no rebuke. There's, no, there's nothing said about the church of Laodicea other than just to greet them. And I think it stands to reason, because Paul, as we know, is not shy <laughs> to rebuke, that I think that the church of Laodicea, when Paul writes the letter to Colossians, is doing really well. It's probably a vibrant, healthy church. It was only located 11 miles from Colossae, and so they probably would have even read this letter to the Colossians. Laodicea was, was, is found in uh, this fertile valley, and it was very wealthy. There was an earthquake in the middle of the century, and it damaged a lot of the town, and it was part of the Roman Empire, and Rome offered to pay to help rebuild the city, and the people of Laodicea rejected it. They said, no, we can rebuild it ourselves. So that just speaks to the wealth that they had and the resources they had there. They also produced there a very popular black wool. And they, that black wool was then uh, a, a major means of export for them and a part of how they gathered their wealth. And the other thing that we need to know as we enter into this passage is there was also a school of medicine there that was very popular and very important to, to the region. So keeping those things in our mind, let's read Revelation 3, this final letter to the church in Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the strongest rebuke of these letters. And what I mean by that is there's nothing really positive said here about this church in Laodicea. In the other letters, there's either like a hint to something uh, 
that they had done that they need to get back to, or it's like positive affirmation of how this, how the church is doing. But in this one, really nothing positive. The framework I'm going to use here, and it's a little tweak on a kind of Missio classic framework, is I'm going to be using the, fr the framework for this sermon of um, <clears throat> who is God, what has he done, who are we, and what do we do? And if this is your first time to Missio or you're not familiar with that framework, I'm going to give you a quick kind of uh, recap of what that means. So traditionally, when we think of our identity not traditionally, I think, uh, well, traditionally, but also just part of our human nature. As we think of who we are and what our identity is, it's often rooted in what we've done. Maybe it's what we do professionally, and this is both good or bad, what we've done in our past, what we do professionally, our successes, our failures. That tends to speak, what we've done tends to speak of who we are, and then who we are then reflects on how we see God and what he's done and who he is. But when we're starting with what we've done, it's always going to end in either pride or shame or guilt, and it's going to end really in a mess. And so, so what we try and do is frame it the other way, and we need to frame it the other way by sta standing here and looking at what God, who God is. Who is he? And out of his identity of who he is, he acts. What does he do? And as we look at what God does, it then speaks to who we are, in Christ, and then our identity thrusts us because of who we are and knowing our true identity in Christ, that moves us to what we do. Okay, got that? Again, that's, I think, really super helpful framework for us, for our lives as we read scriptures. As we read this letter, it touches on all of these. They're going to be a little out of order, but I'm going to try and like kind of bring it together so we, we gain an understanding. I think even reading, knowing that framework helps us with a lot of uh, important key passages of, of the Bible. So who is God? Right from the jump. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. First, Jesus is called the amen. He is the full confirmation of God's promises. Second Corinthians says that no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. So Jesus is this fulfillment of all of the promises. He is the amen. He's the verily. He's the truly. He's the yes to all of God's promises. And he is the faithful and true witness. He bore perfect witness to God on earth and was perfectly faithful to him, even to the point of death. And he's the ruler of all creation. He is the only one worthy of worship. And as we'll see, that's part of the problem. Okay, who is God? Now we're going to jump all the way to what do we do, or what has the church done? And we're going to see what happens is actually this letter is written kind of saying that what they've done and how they view themselves, so what they've done and who they are, is not matching who God is, okay? So then Jesus goes on to say, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. 
So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I want to use two images for you here to help understand this. We need to forget kind of our modern understanding of hot and cold. Um, you know, in our modern kind of idiom, it's that hot is good and cold is bad. We need to leave that beyond because it's not, it's not about hot or cold in that way. It's about usefulness. And so hopefully these two images will help you. We almost always have a fridge full of LaCroix, except for Tuesday night for our initial community. We had nothing. But typically, we have a fridge full of LaCroix. We all drink LaCroix. The kids love LaCroix. And we try to rarely give them their own LaCroix because what inevitably happens is that they don't drink it all, right? And so even when we like make them share, they don't drink them all. And so at the end of almost every night, I walk through the house and I lock the doors and I just make sure the house is like tidied. I'll find between one and four LaCroix like throughout the house, cans throughout the house from the stages of empty to full, like, like full on open, maybe one sip LaCroix. And they've been out for hours, right? And I hate wasting things. So actually what happens at the end of the night is I just pick them up and I just like pound lukewarm flat LaCroix. I know it's gross and drunk by kids. Like this is like super gross, but this is like real dad life, right? And it's not good, but I pound it because I don't like pouring it down the drain. Unless it's like three full ones, I'm not going to do that or I'll pee all night. Again, old man dad stuff. Okay. So if you don't resonate with that, then let us point to uh, Starbucks. When you pull up to Starbucks and you give them your order and you say, I'll have a caramel macchiato, grande caramel macchiato, what is the next question that they ask you? Iced or hot? I don't know if they do this everywhere. Like, I'm sure in, like, Wisconsin, they're, I mean, they probably still need to, but, like, dead of winter, Wisconsin, I don't know if they ask if you want ice, but they probably maybe are trained to. So, iced or hot, right? That's the option. There is no lukewarm option. Like, imagine, like, you call Starbucks an hour ahead. Hey, I'm coming in. I want a lukewarm caramel macchiato. So just make it now. Take the lid off. Leave it on the counter. I'll be there in about an hour to get it, right? Like, nobody wants that. Okay. So that's, that's kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about hot and cold here. And I think that's kind of maybe what's happened to this church in Laodicea. They've been left on the counter too long. And they've become lukewarm. That is what they've done. Now let's look at who they are. Now these are misconceptions, right? This isn't really who the church of Laodicea is. And who they are, this isn't really who they are, but this is what they understand themselves to be. Verse 17, you say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you don't do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is the opposite of the words that, that are spoken to the church in Smyrna. They were afflicted and impoverished, and yet Jesus declares them rich. The church in Laodicea declares themselves rich and without need. And Jesus says, but you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They have used their wealth and skill to mask their true needs. It's a facade that Jesus sees through. 
He then attacks three of their idols. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. He attacks their wealth and says, don't, don't use the gold that you're acquiring through whatever means it might be, but buy from me gold that's been refined through fire. Walk with me and earn that gold that's refined through hardship. And he kind of touches on this black wool that, they, that they're famous for and says, cover yourself with white clothes so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. Get white clothing clothed by me, clothed with my righteousness, not something that you're producing. And then this attack on, on the, their pride around their medical school. I'm gonna give you salve. I'm gonna give you true medicine for your eyes so that you can see, so you can see what's true and will no longer be deceived. I believe it's these three local kind of idols, lo local points of pride that were leading the church of Laodicea to being lukewarm. Get with some people around you and discuss what are some maybe local, regional, maybe national idols that could be leading us towards lukewarmness. I really tried, and then I gave up pretty quickly, but I, I thought for a moment of trying to wrap these all around the five C's of Arizona. That would have been like, that would have been like next level. But since I didn't grow up here, I didn't feel like it was in my core enough to like really go after it. But uh, if you can figure out a way to bring the five C's together as your response, then, then go for it. So discuss with some people around you. Don't spend your whole time trying to figure out what the five C's are. <laughs> I know, I knew it. I heard it start happening. I'm like, oh no, they're gonna spend the whole time trying to remember fifth grade Arizona history. All right. Does anyone want to share some of theirs? And if someone did somehow come up with them that relate to the five C's of Arizona, you can go first. Anyone want to share some local, regional, national idols that might cause us to enter into lukewarmness? Yes, Ryan. Anyone else? Politics and wealth, yeah. What do you mean? Like, what are the ways that that idolatry can lead to lukewarmness?
Yeah, that's good. Those both are so good that they are two of the three I had written down. So now, can you, for a life supply of lukewarm LaCroix, think what my third one is? I mean, it's, Luke, it's lukewarm LaCroix on the line, so think hard. Okay, that's all right. Yeah, oh, back there, Danny wants the lukewarm LaCroix. Yeah, that's really good. That's great. Um, I had, those are all great. We could probably go on. I'm sure we could come up with many and they're, they're different from each of us and everyone. Um, I, I just wanted to point out and like draw some extra like depth into what you were saying with the comfort and kind of seeking to be en uh, endlessly en entertained. I think Brad kind, uh, kind of hinted at that a little bit last week about being tired and finding rest. And I just want to remind us that the call from Jesus is to take his yoke upon us um, because it's easy and his burden is light. Uh, when it comes to independence, Jesus's call, I mean, we ha literally have a day called Independence Day we have, you know, independent living facilities, right, where we put our, like, grandparents so that we don't have to care for them. Um, and that's useful at times, certainly, I'm sure, but um, not always. But Jesus's call isn't to independence, but rather dependence on him and the spirit and interdependence on one another. And then the final one is freedom, that we have a misunderstanding of, of freedom that yes, we're called to freedom, but not the kind of like lions, not sheep freedom. That's really popular, but a freedom and that, yeah, but a freedom from sin and a freedom towards service of others that we use the freedom that we have to serve. So what does God do in light of this? In light of this like clear misunderstanding and like this lukewarm way of living and this really horrible misunderstanding of who they are, what does Jesus do? Here's how he responds. Because he is the amen, because he is the faithful and true witness and the ruler over God's creation, he says, to those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. This once vibrant church has become lukewarm. It has become inefficient, ineffective. And while I don't think this is missio, we're about 14, 15 years old as a church and I wonder what are some beliefs, what are some behaviors that the church of Laodicea, let's say in like the, in like 65, 
let's say they were founded in 50. I'm making that up, but it's probably somewhere in there. Let's say in 65, 70, this 15-year-old church in Laodicea, what are the things that they started believing that led them to lukewarmness by the time John wrote this letter? What are the things here for us? What are the dangers? And we've hinted at some of them, but now we're trying, we're kind of moving from the ethereal, like other people believe this. And maybe you were, there was some confessional in what we were all sharing, but what are the dangers? What are the things that we could believe in? What are some of the ways we've been living that in 15 years, this church, this letter could be written to the church at Missio Day? Some questions to ponder. Are you just going through the motions of mission? Are you blocking depth in your relationships in your MC? Are you avoiding conflict? Are you avoiding reconciliation? Are you reading the lectionary every morning out of habit but not to hear the Spirit speak? Are we in danger of losing our effectiveness because we've been distracted by wealth, black wool, medicine, freedom, independence, experiences, comfort? If any of you are feeling rebuke right now. That's actually really good. It's really good because it's a sign that Jesus loves you. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, Jesus answers that. Those who I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Be earnest and repent. I think this is super important because I think we're in danger of doing one or the other or sometimes neither even. That sometimes, and I'm in severe danger of this, that I am eager <laughs> in my kind of repentance. Very sincere, very eager, but not always actually do I change. I'm sorry, I feel bad for what I did, but I don't always change. Emily and I were in a conflict with someone recently and the person had hurt uh, Emily really, really like deeply. And during our conversation, they were even at the point of like tears for their apology. But in the midst of it, there was also this like resistance to change, this resistance to true repentance of turning and changing, and I think we're in danger of that. I think we're also in danger of, of kind of repenting and turning, but doing so in such a flippant way that it's hard as the recipient of like a, an apology to really take it serious. Um, our kids are like famous at this, like, hey, apologize to your sister. Sorry. Sorry. And then of course, the real tragedy would be if we don't do either. If we never go to God in an earnest repentance, 
we're gonna take a little bit of time in silent reflection. Maybe this letter is hitting you really hard. And this is a time to be earnest and repent. But maybe you actually haven't moved on from a previous letter. <laughs> maybe there's something from one of these other letters that's just stuck in your heart and in your mind. And you want to look back and reflect on that. And it doesn't have, like, this doesn't have to be a moment of reflection and repentance. It could just be sitting into some of these other words that Jesus says to the churches that are reminding us of who we are and what he's done and who God is. So let's just take some time, be silent, flip through your Bible if you need to, read back over some of those other letters, and then I'll finish us up. Maybe that wasn't sufficient enough time, um, perhaps. And if not, then take the time today. Find some time on this Sunday, this beautiful weather, to go outside and read the letters again or talk with a friend or a spouse or a loved one and, and reflect on, on these letters and, and particularly this, this one. I'm always nervous of leaving a sermon where we don't remember who Jesus is, <laughs> where the, the sermon has been about behavior modification or uh, some other kind of pop culture way of, of dealing with the challenges of our life. But Jesus is so good to not just leave us here, leave us in a moment of uh, maybe guilt or shame. Because immediately after these verses, he says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is here. He's not, he didn't go anywhere. If you're feeling particularly lukewarm, and this passage, for whatever reason, is like hitting you in a deep space of your heart. Jesus has not gone anywhere. In fact, he is here right now. And he stands at the door and he knocks. Again, try and, if you grew up in the church, try and forget all the cliches that are wrapped around that. Just sit and experience the reality that he is here. And he's standing at the door knocking. And whoever opens, he will dine with them. And oh goodness, is there a better setup to communion than that? And yet one more week. We will wait one more week. We have to sit in the tension of Lent for one more week. We have victory over sin and death, but not fully. We can be hot or cold, but man, is it easy to be lukewarm. Jesus is at the door and he's knocking. He is here, but he feels so far away sometimes. He feels so far away. We sit in that tension of Lent all the time, but right now we're really, we're sitting in it. We're looking forward to that day when Jesus returns. I think the church of Laodicea was similar to the disciples of, of Holy Week. 
at the beginning of the church, they were like those who waited for Jesus, shouting Hosanna and worshiping him. But by the time of this letter, they were falling asleep while he prayed, departing from him, denying him, and acting like they didn't know him. But Jesus concludes with hope. To those who are victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. One more week, fam. One more week, and then we celebrate. But would this week be one of deep reflection on the life and death of Jesus Christ? Would it stir our affections for him? Would it lead us to repentance? And would we open the door for Jesus and dine with him? Oh, would we know him intimately? Let me pray. Jesus, you are the amen. You are the faithful and true witness. You are the ruler of all creation. Because of that, you have fulfilled all of the promises made by God. You have borne faithful and true witness to God in your life, but also in your death. You are the ruler over all of his creation. We shall put no other idols before you. And you stand at the door and you knock and you invite us to dine with you. And as we sit in the tension of sin and, and shame and guilt and brokenness and tiredness and all that this life brings to us, would we look forward most closely to next Sunday when we celebrate your resurrection? But then would we also look forward to the full and final redemption, reconciliation, restoration of our lives with you, Jesus, where we get to reign victorious with you, the suffering servant. We pray this in your name. Amen.